a father today we look forward god to what you're going to do and lord i do pray god that you would just speak to our hearts lord as we're able to watch the church begin the uh uh very beginning of of doing missionary work of sending people out to do cross quote quote cross cultural ministry to reach out beyond their little group, Lord. I, I pray that it would impact our lives and give us vision and direction. And God, it would encourage us, every single one of us in here today, that it would encourage us, Lord, to find our calling, to know our calling, and then to do our calling. So I pray that Your hand would be upon us and that this would just be a phenomenal time as we study Your Word and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, today we start with the church is finally going to move out beyond, you know, its comfort area and, and start doing outreach. And here's the interesting thing. They're going to do it without a lot of infrastructure, without a lot of organization, without a lot of kind of figuring out demographics and looking at what exactly we need to do. In other words... Today, when we go to do an outreach, we kind of look at a lot of things and want a lot of information and do it. What I love about the early church is they just did it. They felt the call of the Spirit, and they would do that. And I believe that's the most important thing, knowing what God wants us to do, knowing what He wants us to do personally, and then knowing what He wants us to do corporately as a church. Years ago, as a, as a fairly new believer, I read a book, and I think it's out of print now, and the book was called Manuel. It was about a, a gentleman in South America. I can't remember which country in South America, but one of the countries in South America. And he was up in the mountains, kind of in a remote area, and living in a village, and he was kind of a, a mover and a shaker in a village. He owned the, he owned the, uh, the, the, the main store, he owned the uh, bar, and he owned the brothel. So kind of a, you know interesting thing. Well, he decided he wanted to learn English. Well, some missionaries had left a Bible. So he said, well, the only way I'm going to learn English is by reading the Bible. So he began reading the Bible to learn English. And he got saved. He got saved by reading the Bible. Well, then, you know, some missionaries began to visit him and they go, uh, and he would serve them shots of tequila and talk about Jesus. And they're going, you know, this is not a real good idea. Number one, you own a brothel. And he goes, I'm not supposed to do that? And they said, no, and here's what he would do every time. He'd say, show me in here where it says that. So they'd show him in the Bible because that's what he knew. So he would say, okay. So he closed his brothel pretty early on. He got that one. And then eventually he closed the bar. And then the, 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 the fun thing is he had three wives. And they said, uh, you just, that's not good. And he goes, okay, now here's what I love about what this guy did. He went and he built two extra houses and he put the two women who, you know, were his wives at one time and put them each in a separate house and took care of them, made sure they were taken care of and took care of them and then only lived with one of them. Isn't it cool? Isn't it a cool story? So then, listen, then he has a church started Guys are coming to the church. People are coming to the church. He starts sending them out. They planted 200 churches up in these remote mountain villages. Now the missionaries come and go, dude, what is your secret, right? We got to know. You know what he said? We read the book of Acts and we just did it. Isn't that great? 
Huh? It's that simple, and yet we seem to complicate it, and, and we want all of these things. It's that simple. Listen, we need to be more than anything else, we need to be Spirit-led and listening to where the Lord wants us to go and what the Lord wants us to do. And that's what we're going to learn from the book of Acts. Now listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying throw everything out, but I think, I think we get way too over-organized at times, and sometimes we get so organized that we do nothing. And that's, that's, that's frightening. So look at verse 25. It says in Barnabas of chapter 12, I'm sorry, and, and then we'll get into 13. And Barnabas and Saul reported for, returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them, they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now that's where we left off. Remember, they got this young guy, they come back to the church at Antioch. Now starting in chapter 13, this is going to be a major shift, and we're going to read everything kind of focused from Antioch going out. Antioch's going to be, quote, the mother church of sending people out, which, which they were, man. It all started in this church. Do you guys remember what was going on in Antioch? You know, we kind of took a, we, we kind of stopped and talked about Herod and Peter and stuff. But remember before that, remember in chapter 11 what happened? The church was exploding. People are getting saved, man. It's, a, it's like one of those churches that everybody wants to be part of. It's exciting. God is moving. People are getting saved. And it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. And then, and then remember, they sent Barnabas and Saul down to Jerusalem to take the money. Now they've come back and they kind of settle in to do ministry. That's what I look at here in the, in the beginning of, of uh, chapter 13. Listen, it says, Now... In the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So listen, now they're settling in or kind of doing ministry, and Luke sort of gives us, I think, some of the structure of the leadership of the church in Antioch. And here's what I love about the verse 1. And man... It's so variegated. It's so cosmopolitan. When you, when you look at who's part of the leadership, it wasn't just, listen, it wasn't just cookie-cutter guys. Oh, you fit the mold, you go, and you know, you got to fit in a mold. These, this is a pretty diverse group when you think about and you begin to understand. First of all, you got Barnabas, right? Barnabas, remember, he was from Cyprus, so you have this Cyprian Jew, so to speak. We knew he was a Jew. And he's been, he's been ministering and moving and shaking down in Jerusalem. Then they sent him back to Antioch. And now listen, he's one of the leaders there. So, so you have the guy. And the one thing we know about Barnabas is what? He's an encourager, right? So listen, I think part of this whole thing, it says there were prophets and teachers. I think part of, in the church, part of the ministry of prophets is encouragement. And people, listen, I think too many people think all prophets do are condemned because we read the Old Testament prophets and then we have people who have the, you know, the hold to me gift of condemnation. And they just come and lay trips on us, right? Well, you're not doing this, or you're not doing that. And he just kind of beats you down and then they go, well, I, you know, I'm like Elijah. No, you're not like Elijah. You're not even close. And so we have that. So listen, I, I think the, the, the ministry, as I read through the New Testament, the ministry of the, of the prophet is exhortation, edification, and encouragement, and comfort. 
They speak forth the Word of God to bring those realities in somebody's life. And then we have, so that's Barnabas. And then he says also there were prophets and then there were teachers. And, and listen, some of these guys are teachers. And what do teachers do? Teachers open up the Word of God and guide us in the way we should walk and understand the Word of God and go in that direction. So listen, you have this mix. So you have Barnabas, a teacher, doesn't, or an exhorter, or a prophet. It doesn't tell us these other guys, but listen. Then you have Simeon, who is called Niger. Now, from all of that, it's pretty obvious this Simeon, he was a black guy. And I kind of, listen, I'm kind of digging it. you got this black guy involved in the church. And some people say this was Simon of Cyrene. You remember Simon of Cyrene? Remember who that guy was? He's the one who carried the cross, right? It could be, maybe not. I think, I think it's kind of, you know, there was one guy who wrote a whole page and I'm thinking, well, you still haven't convinced me. Maybe it's, it's kind of a sweet thought, isn't it, that he ended up there. But nonetheless, you have this guy and then we have another guy from Cyrene. We have Lucius from Cyrene, which is North Africa. So listen, now, maybe he, got, maybe he was black, maybe he wasn't, but here's what we do know. He's a Gentile. So you have this Cyprian Jew, you have the Simeon, who was a Jew, more than likely. And then you have this, this, this next guy. You have, you have Lucius, who was, who was a Gentile. And these are the guys involved in leadership. Oh, and then the last one before, before Saul, the fourth one, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod. Does that kind of blow your mind? Listen, not Herod that we just saw killed, Herod Agrippa, that got ate by worms last week. Remember that guy? Not him, but... We're, we're talking about Herod Antipas, the one who tried John the Baptist. He was raised with him. And, and even most people say the way it's worded, he was, like, he was like a foster child, so to speak, in the household of Herod. Now, here's what I'm thinking. If you were in Herod the Great's household and you were a son and he murdered sons, I'm not sure I'd want to be a foster kid in that guy's house, right? That's like, that's like really rolling the dice. But we have Menaean who is, bottom line, he's an aristocrat. This is a guy who has some incredible social standings. And where is he? He's in the church? How did he get saved? Some people might ask. And here he is, part of that leadership. And then the last guy we have is Saul. And we know all about Saul, right? The Pharisee. Is that a group of leaders or what? Aren't you glad, aren't you glad as you read that it's not just like cookie-cutter guys? Man, they come from everywhere. And they're gathered together. They're leading the church. The church is growing. The church is doing some dynamic, crazy things. And then it tells us in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, I, here's what I love, as they ministered to the Lord... Some of your translations say, as they worship the Lord. I, I'm not sure that's good. It could, could kind of be the same thing. But I love the idea of ministering, listen carefully, not for the Lord, but to the Lord. I believe our greatest obligation in serving is to serve Him and serve to Him. Listen, I, I, I get the idea that this group, at least the group of them, if not the whole church, is just quietly sitting and loving on Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Nothing, nothing spectacular going on. They're just like ministering to Him. They're, you know, and some people say even the way it's worded, it's kind of like handling of sacred things. And I think the most sacred thing that you and I have is prayer. 
And they're ministering to the Lord. And you get, I look, I look at these guys and they're dynamic guys, but I look at this picture and I see them quietly sitting before the Lord and waiting. And then it says, listen, they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. They're serious, aren't they? They're serious about seeking Him. Now, whenever we come to fasting in the, in the Bible, I always like to try and explain it because I think, I think we have way misconceptions about fasting. Too many people that I hear tell me, I want God to do this, so I'm going to fast. That's called a hunger strike. It's not fasting. You're going to quit eating till God does something. That's not fasting. You don't fast to change God. Listen carefully. You fast so you can hear from God so you can change. You're not trying to change Him. You're trying to change you. And I think we, you know, lots of times we, we, we get it backwards. We need to get ourselves, listen, fasting is merely, it's just simple. You're giving up something that's beneficial, something that's good, so that you can get something that's gooder. Right? You're putting yourself in a position so that you can hear from the Lord and hear what He has to say, not in a position to change Him. Now I understand, listen, I understand with, with the different medical conditions, some people can't do like a, a complete abstaining from food. I get that. Some people can't, you can't even skip meals because of the way they're, the, whatever they're going through. So I understand that. But there's a lot of different ways to fast. And you can fast a lot of different things. The only thing that bugs me is when people like fast donuts. I'm going, seriously? That's like, that's like a little crazy. You know, and then some people, well, I'm going to give up chocolate. Oh, wow. You're suffering for Jesus, man. I can see that right now. <laughs> no, you need to give up something, listen, that, is, that you can give up that is beneficial for you, that then you can focus on God and hear what He has to say. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's something the church doesn't, doesn't talk about it much anymore. Now here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping people are fasting and not talking about it because isn't that what Jesus said to do? Remember Jesus said, hey, when you fast, don't act like the Pharisees who let everybody know, oh, I'm fasting, I'm holy. What did Jesus say? Don't tell anybody. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping a lot of people are fasting and not talking about it because that's the way it should be. But listen, we fast and we, we separate ourselves. You want to know what God has for your life? You want to know what direction you should go? Maybe you should spend some time ministering to Him and fasting and seeing what He says to you. So you have this group and then the Holy Spirit, listen, as they're doing this, here's what I love, man. They get themselves in a position and what does it say? And the Holy Spirit said, listen, they got themselves in a position. Then God spoke to them and directed them. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. How did the Holy Spirit speak to them? I don't think he spoke to them much different than he speaks to us today. Listen, I don't think a voice echoed through the, you know, we, we always think when, when God speaks, it's comes some kind of deep, deep voice and it got the whoa, 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 and he's speaking. I, I don't think that happened. I think he spoke to them by confirming and showing each one what he desired to do. And the five of them got this message just like we do, impressed in their hearts. 
I believe today God guides us by impressing something on our hearts. And sometimes it gets nagging like you can't give it up, man. But it's there, it's inside, and you know. And the Holy Spirit, listen, He spoke to them, guiding them. Why? Because they were in that position. What were they doing? They were ministering to Him and fasting. Therefore, they could hear Him. And I believe all five, quote, got the same message. Now, here's what I love. What did He say? You set apart for me or to me, right? Set apart to me, Barney and Saul. And then he says, for the work to which I have called them. The church didn't call these guys to this position. The missionary board didn't call these guys to this position. The seminary didn't call these guys to this. Who called them? God. God laid it on our hearts. And now I'm thinking, listen, I'm thinking, remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, Barnabas and Saul are kind of the main movers and shakers in this ministry going on in Antioch. And some tremendous things are going on. And now God says, I want you to set them apart. Now listen, that doesn't mean have them sit on that side of the room and you guys sit on this side of the room and separate. God's saying, I've got something else for them. Is that crazy or what? Well, Lord, we really don't want to set them apart because we kind of dig the fact that they're here and we're kind of liking them. Hmm? Yeah, take the two guys, take the two main guys out of the ministry and I've got something else for them. A couple of things I've noticed I've already impressed on the fact God does the calling not a board, not a group, etc. God does the calling. God places it on their heart. But then the second thing that I notice is these guys were already busy doing ministry. You see, I think a lot of people tell me, I really want to serve the Lord and I want to do something for the Lord, but I'm just going to wait till He shows me what it is. You know how long you're going to wait? Forever. You're just going to wait and you're going to wait and you're going to wait. I call those people kumquats for Christ. Because they're just waiting. Who did he call? He probably called the two busiest guys in the church, don't you think? I think they had to be busy, man. They're, listen, they're the guys that everybody went to. And, you know, I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that kind of go across the board? Have you ever noticed the people who have time to do things are generally the people who are busiest about what they're doing, but then they find time to do something else? And those who don't have any time are the ones who have all the time in the world because they're not doing anything. But they can never find time to get that thing done. Have you ever noticed that? Just in the world in general, just life. Busy people are the ones who get things done, right? And I'm going to use a bad term. Lazy people are the ones who get nothing done. And they're always, I can't do it, I can't do it, I don't have time. So here's the thing, man. You want to see what God has for you? Get busy serving Him. Go, man. Go hard. And you know what? He's going to have you go harder and go harder. And He's going to show you more things and more things. And the world is going to open up. And you're going to be blown away by the opportunities that He puts in front of you. And you're going to have. I think, I think personally, I think Barnabas and Saul, I think they were a little bit blown away by this. I think they thought, really? Now, we know when Saul was saved that God said, you're going to be, you know, you're going to reach out to the Gentiles. You're going to be my apostle. He didn't say apostle, but you're going to be the one I use to reach the Gentiles. Well, what's he doing in Antioch? He's reaching Gentiles. And I think, listen, I think he thought, well, this is it. I know in my ministry, things I've done, I thought, okay, this is as far as it's going. And the Lord goes, no, we want to do something else. 
Really? Yeah, we want to do something else. And I kind of get that going, and he goes, now, now, okay, now, now that's done. Okay, and he goes, no, now we want to do something else. We want to do something else. When I do the pottery presentation, here's what blows my mind. I've been able to go around the world and minister. Now, listen, I don't tell people that so they'll go, woo, you, went, you know. Here's what I tell you. I'm from Bisbee. Come on, guys. If God can take someone from Bisbee and let them go around the world to do ministry, He can do that in any heart in here. You just got to get going. And so here's these two busy, busy guys, and he says, hey, set them apart. And I can even understand, I think the five of them are going, this is nuts, man. You guys are already doing a lot. What else is he going to have you do? Oh, he's going to have us do some crazy things. And then listen, listen, verse 3, then having fasted, oh, they're fasting some more. Listen, they set them apart. Now they want to know what does God want them to do. So what do they do? They don't go to the, listen, They don't start Googling countries and finding things and looking at things. What do they do? They go to the Lord. Lord, okay, we set them apart. Now what do you want us to do? After they fasted and prayed, listen, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Wow. Wow. That had to be a crazy day in the church of Antioch. Hey, today we're going to lay hands on Saul and Barnabas and they're going to go away. Where are they going? Away. But where? Away. Listen, we want too many answers. All of us want everything painted out. When God called Abraham, what did He tell him? Get up and leave your country. That's all He told him. So He, I guess, had several directions He could go, right, to get out of the country. But get up and leave your country. Listen, I love, Abraham didn't say, God, where am I going? God, how far away am I going? God, what kind of country am I going to? What kind of things are going to be there? How's it going to be? Do I need to do this? Or I need... He just got up and went. So here we have Barnabas and Saul send them, lay hands on them, send them away. Now, something I want to clarify, they didn't lay hands on them to impart some kind of special power upon them. Remember, we've talked about this through the book of Acts. Why are they laying hands on them? To identify with them. And here's what they're saying. Just as Barnabas and Saul are going away, so the whole church is going away with them. We're part of this. We're all, all in. We're not, listen, those who stay, I I remember years ago hearing someone say, you know, if you don't go, staying should be as hard of a decision as going. And I kind of like that, right? Those who stay, listen, we're still part of the ministry. People who stay, you need a home church. You need need that, that, that grounded body to do the support. Remember, Remember when David went conquering and he left some of the men with the stuff? Do you remember that? That always cracks me up. Stay with the stuff. What did you do in the war? Stayed with the stuff. That's what I did in the war. And remember they went, and they, went and, and, and they beat up the other guys and they brought all the booty back. They had all the stuff. They're bringing back more stuff. And, and then the guys who stayed with the stuff, the, the, the other guys who went to war said, well, we don't want to give the guys who stayed with the stuff anything. All they did was stay with the stuff. And remember what David said? They were just as vital as those who went and fought the war. Give them their share of the booty because they're part of this. And the same thing in ministry. Listen, those, there are those who go and there are those who stay. But they sent them away. Now here's what I love. Look at this next verse, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there just for a moment and think about this. You see, because I believe the key to successful mission work is hearing from the Holy Spirit and being guided by the Holy Spirit. Can we do other things? Of course we can. 
But the main drive, the main move, should be the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. You guys remember, I've talked about when, when I got called into ministry, I was busy doing mission work. I was very busy doing mission, mission work in, in Mexico. We would go down and we would work with tribal people showing the Jesus film up in the mountains with, with people tucked far away that nobody else is talking to, nobody else cares about them, they know they're there. And we're going in there and showing the Jesus film. You know what I did when we showed the Jesus film? Here's what I did. We would show up, I'd set up the table, I'd set up the projector, I'd go get the, take the generator out so it wouldn't be too noisy, run all the cables, get everything going, get the generator going, turn the projector on, then we'd show the movie, then when we're done, I'd take the projector down, put it away, and, and uh, we would go to the next place. That was, my, that was my ministry. And some of you going, dude, that's not ministry. Well, somebody had to do it, didn't they? Hey, I didn't speak Spanish. But I was involved in missions and I'm going in that direction. And then I remember I was really impacted by, uh, at that time, it was a really, really big organization. It's called the U.S. Center for World Missions. And they were identifying unreached groups and the 1040 window. Some of you kind of know the, these terms and if you don't, it's okay. But they're identifying all this stuff. And man, I would read their stuff and I would just, you know, sometimes I, I would just sit and, and, and fantasize about going in some way remote, tucked away area that nobody knows about. My wife, not so much, but I was doing that. And, and uh, I was just thinking about those things and, and I kind of look at it and, and read. Well, then then after the Lord called me uh, to go to Bible college, I had to go all the way to Guadalajara to find out to go. I had to go to California, but that's just a whole other story. But I end up at Bible college, and, and listen, I was taking a missions class, and they said, hey, we're going to take a field trip to the U.S. Center for World Missions. I was excited. Yes. I'm going to go, like, this is, the, this is the holy of holies for, you know, for world missions in America. Yes. And I remember getting, and we get on there with a group of younger people. I was the old guy. They all called me dad. And listen, we get on a, we get on a bus, and we all go, and there's younger people. And we go through the U.S. Center of World Missions. And, and I'm a little bit let down. I thought, well, it's not quite what I thought. And then I got on the bus, and I asked a couple of young people, so what did you think? Because this is like, this is it for me, right? And they go, you want us to be honest? And I go, yeah, what did you think? And he said, we hated it. And I go, well, that's because you're not spiritual. I go, what, what, what was wrong? And they said, well, it was a whole bunch of fishermen talking about fishing, but nobody was going fishing. Ooh. Ooh. You know, young people, you can't pull the wool over their eyes, right? I mean, we can say what we want about like teens and, and young 20s and kind of pick on them. But the one thing you can't, you can't fool them. You can't like pull something off. They, they kind of see right through stuff, right? That's why as parents, we've got to be really honest and transparent, I think, with our, with, especially with our teens as we're raising them. And you know what? They were right. There was a whole bunch of people and all they were talking about is where these people are, how to reach them, what to do. But nobody was going, and that becomes the problem with the church when we become so organized, we leave the Holy Spirit out and we get all that stuff, we lose sight of what's going on. Listen carefully. What did it say here? They were led by the Spirit, right? Sent out by the Spirit. So here's what they do. Here's my vision of what happens. 
There's the river right there that comes out of Antioch and goes down to the coast. Remember, Antioch was inland a little bit, so there's a river going down. And here's what I think happened. I could be wrong, but I think Barnabas and Saul, they said, well, we've got to get to the coast. If we're going to go anywhere, we've got to get to the coast and get on a boat, right? So they take off, they go down, and what does it say? They go to Seleucus, which is the coastal area, being sent by the Spirit, they went to Seleucus, and from there they went to Cyprus. Why would you guys go to Cyprus? Because that's where the boat was going when we got on it. Or maybe, that's where Barnabas is from, maybe Barnabas wanted to stay still a little bit comfortable, right? Who knows? Who knows why they went to Cyprus? I don't think in the calling they were told to go to Cyprus. I think in the calling they were told, go. So they went. Now, a little side note, I think this is way before Paul started wrecking boats, right? I don't know, if there's water in heaven, and it seems to imply there's not, but if there happens to be, and there's boats, I'm not getting on a boat with Paul. That ain't going to happen, right? That guy wrecks boats all the time. And I'm thinking, man, this was like rolling the dice. Barnabas didn't know yet, because how many boats did he wreck? Four. Four in his lifetime. That's a lot, right? I was shipwrecked three times, and that's before the biggie at the end. So listen, listen, they get on a boat, and it says they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in verse 5 in Salamis, they preached the Word of God. Underline that. What did they do when they got to the place? They preached the Word of God. Here's the thing. What's their calling? Their calling is to preach the Word of God. What did they do? They preached the Word of God. Listen, they didn't have to go and... and Quote, you know, find out the felt needs, do a demographic study, find out exactly what's going on culturally and try and reach them and try and do... What did they do? They preached the Word of God because that's what they were called to do. And it tells us they preached the Word of God and it says they did it in synagogues of the Jews and they also had John as their assistant. So as they arrived, they went to Jews first, right? Because isn't that what Romans says? The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first, then also also for the Greeks, right? They go to the Jews first. They're doing the outreach there. I'm sure they're collecting some Gentiles along the way. But here's what's crazy. And then it says, and they had John. John went with them. John Mark. This is Mark. And the way this is worded, it seems like he was the scroll carrier. Now we're going, that's not a big deal. Can you imagine trying to like carry 27 scrolls? I got them. I got them. You know, he's probably fumbling all over and they're going, get us, you know, get us Habakkuk. Really, Habakkuk, I don't even know where that is in my Bible. How am I going to find it in the scroll, right? So listen, and, and he's got all the scrolls. So they're teaching the Word of God. Mark's going along carrying stuff, just being part of the ministry, kind of when I was doing projector work. That's all I did. I was just there to be there, to help out. And I love the idea that John Mark's doing that. Now, here's what's crazy, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos. I want to pause for a minute. They landed in Salamis, which is the eastern coast of Cyprus, closest to where they left from Seleucus. It would have been the closest area to go. They go across the Mediterranean, land in Salamis, and then they go across 90 miles to Paphos. And here's the thing. Did they have any success in Salamis? Did anybody get saved? Don't know. David gets saved going across the island? Don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. Because see, that wasn't their calling. Listen carefully. Their calling wasn't to save people. 
This is where we get messed up. Their calling was not to save people. Their calling was to preach the Word of God. That's their calling. God is the one who's got to do the other work. They did their calling, and that's all we need to do. Listen, we're responsible for what He's called us to do. I see too many people, you know, quote, planting or, or counting everything on numbers and success and etc. Do what God has called you to do. So I guarantee you walking across that island, they're telling people about Jesus. They're not just walking along going, sorry, man, we've got to get from Salamis to Paphos because that's the way Luke wrote it and we can't talk to anybody on the way. No, they're telling everybody. They're talking like crazy because look at what happens. Listen, as they get to Paphos, it says in the, in the middle of verse 6, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. I don't think they like this guy. Right? Luke kind of nailed him from the beginning. Obviously, Paul told Luke about what it was about. But listen to this guy. Listen to his description again. They found a, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Son of Salvation. Is that nuts or what? What's your name? Son of Salvation. What do you do? Deceive people. What a turkey. Listen, you've got to be careful. Everybody that names something, there are a lot of people that say they're Christians and name Christianity, but they're false teachers. Just because you call yourself something doesn't mean that's what you are. There are a lot of people even today in the Jewish faith that have nothing to do with Judaism. There's the whole Kabbalah movement. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, but that's a real, you know, spiritist kind of type thing within Judaism. They, 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 their, you know, heritage is Jew and they claim Judaism, but they're the ones, if you ever go to Israel, you see the hand with the eye in it. Or, you know, just around. That's Kabbalah. That's the all-seeing eye. And it's interesting. I first learned about it. I would see some ladies in Israel with, with scarlet, scarlet threads on their wrists. Now, me, I'm thinking of scarlet thread. That's got to be about Rahab, right? That's where my mind goes, man, this must be like the sisters of Rahab who are rescuing prostitutes or something. And I'm all excited. And I want to talk to them. I go, hey, I see you got that. Are you, are you like, you know, ministering to prostitutes? And they'd go, no, Why? And I'd go, well, I thought it was a Rahab thing. Sorry. You know? and, and they would go, no, this is about Kabbalah. And it's interesting, and it, it reaches outside of Israel and, and kind of you know, around. Now, listen, don't look at everybody who's got a red thing tied on their wrist and go, we know who you are. But here's my point. It's not unusual to have somebody Jewish acting like Bar-Jesus is, being a false prophet, being a sorcerer, doing those things, getting into kind of that type of spiritualism. So listen, he's doing that. But here's the interesting thing. We get him introduced, and then in verse 7, kind of, I kind of interrupted that. It was His name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, uh, an, an intelligent man. So listen, Bar-Jesus is hanging out with the leader of Rome, on Cyprus, right? The mover and shaker, the guy who is in authority from Rome, he's the pro-council. Pro Listen, in, in that generation at that time, a procurator was named by the Caesar. Someone who was a pro-council was named by the Senate. To remove a procurator, all the Caesar had to do was go, you're out of here, dude. I don't like you anymore. To remove a pro-council, it took an act of the Senate. Kind of interesting, huh? So I, I look at him as a little bit more solid, a little bit better. And then it says he's an intelligent guy. And I'm thinking, really, he's an intelligent guy and he's got a sorcerer hanging out with him? 
That's not very good, isn't it? So that tells me you can be intelligent and not wise. Isn't it interesting how sorcery-type stuff gets involved in politics? Nancy Reagan was kind of the champion of that. You know, she wouldn't make any decisions or go anywhere unless she first consulted astrologers. Not astronomers, astrologers. And that's like, to me, one of the most hokey, hokey, quote, sorceries there is going on. She wouldn't do anything. She made, listen, and I'm sure she influenced Ronnie. Hate to, if, if he's your hero, hate to kind of like put a little bit out there, but that's the way it is. And she would consult them all the time. Now this guy, he's got this, this, this sorcerer hanging out with him, and he's there. Now, listen, a little bit more. This man, listen, the man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So, so this Sergius Paulus says, hey, I want, to, I want those two to come. Now, no doubt he had his headquarters there in Paphos. And he says, hey, I want to hear these two guys. Now, I think for two reasons. I'm feeling it. That's what I'm thinking. Number one reason, they've come all the way across the, across the island spreading this gospel. He wants to hear what they're telling the people you know, of his, under his domain, right? I want to hear what you guys have to say. The second reason is, I think he really wanted to hear it. I think he's saying, I want to hear this, man. It sounds like it might be good. So I want to hear it. And that causes a little bit of conflict. Verse 8, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated. So listen, now we get another name. He's not just called Bar-Jesus. He's called Elymas, which means sorcerer. So that's kind of interesting. But anyway, this Elymas withstood them, seeking to turn the pro-council away from the faith. So here's Elymas. You can't listen to him. So now the battle's on. Have you ever noticed when you start sharing the gospel that now you've got a spiritual battle? Somebody tries to come against you. Somebody's there trying to stop you. So here's what I love. Check out what Paul does. Then Paul, or then Saul, who's also called Paul. Finally, now from now on, he's called Paul because I keep saying Paul. But this is where, listen, and I don't, think, I don't think they changed his name in Cyprus. I think he always had two names. I think he was always Saul, Paul. I think, I think listen, his Jewish name was Saul, which kind of means chosen one. Remember the first king of Israel, Saul? And it kind of in that aspect, kind of an elevated name. Now, Paul in Greek means little one. <laughs> Isn't that funny? But anyway, listen. So now, now they call him Paul. And it says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. Woo! You think, you think Paul was a little bit hot over this? Man, that is a great way to introduce yourself to somebody. And he's like hitting him head on. Son of salvation goes to son of the devil, right? Man, it's like, I think, I think Saul's a little upset. Why? Because he's taking away, he's trying to take away the gospel. He's trying to block it. Oh, and then, verse 11, And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now here's what's crazy, man. I think this was very, very intentional and purposeful by Paul. How did Paul, do you remember? Remember when Paul got saved? Remember what happened? What happened? He went blind. Hmm. See, I don't think he's putting a curse on him, I hate you and I want you to go blind. 
Here's what I think he's doing. He's putting a curse on him saying, I want you to go blind so you can see again. I want you to go blind so you can see spiritually. I think this is a heart, man. I think this is a heart of an evangelist of, hey, you know what? I'll do anything it takes to get you saved, dude. And you know what? You're pretty, you're pretty like whacked out going the other direction. So here's the deal. Boom. You're not going to see for a while. And he's groping around. Now, we don't know the rest of the story. When we get to heaven, we can kind of go around saying, hey, is there a bar Jesus here that was in Acts chapter 13? Right? Hanging out in Cyprus. We can, we can like look for that. But going back, listen, going back to the proconsul, verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Listen carefully. He was not astonished by the miracle of the guy going blind. That miracle confirmed the teaching of the Word of the Lord. Right? And that's what astonished him. He heard the Word of the Lord and he's going, What? And he got saved. Is that cool? So first missionary journey, we got one per- person saved. We've been there a while, man. We've been working hard as missionaries. Woo! We finally got somebody. We don't know about the rest of them. But I think they're pretty excited. You've got a big mover and shaker on the island of, of, of uh, Cyprus. Oh, and if you read on, they leave. We've got to stop here. We can't, we can't keep going. Some of you are going, come on! Well, you've got kids that need to get picked up, or we could. But listen, man, are you excited right now? Has God stirred in you like, man, Lord, I want to see this stuff happen. I want, I want to be used by you. Then listen carefully. Get quiet before Him. Settle your heart before Him. Begin to minister to Him. And then listen, but listen, it doesn't stop there. You've got to go do it. Listen, these guys didn't just hear set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. They set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work. They didn't just hear, hey, they need to go. They sent them away. Did you pick up on that? They sent them away. They're kind of like, get out of here. And Barnabas and Saul didn't just like go a couple steps. They went all the way to Cyprus, to Paphos. They're going to go on a crazy, crazy journey. Look in the back of your Bible and like trace the first missionary journey. They go on a crazy journey. And there's John Mark trying to keep all the scrolls. I'm with you guys somehow, right? And away we go. And we see the Lord doing some amazing stuff. That's what I want in my life. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, as we think about this journey and we think about these two guys taking off and Lord, just ending up in Cyprus, how how great that is. And God, I pray for all of us. I pray we kind of catch hold of that and, and it kind of grips our hearts. And God, that we would be able to honor you and glorify you with our lives. Lord, I pray that we can understand you don't call us to save people. You call us to specifics. We could be called to preach the Word. We could be called to pick up scrolls. We could be called to lay out cables. But Lord, I pray that we would know and understand our calling and then you would give us, grant us the faith to do what you've called us to do. And I'm going to ask you to stay in that attitude of prayer for another couple moments. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, and that goes for people who maybe have attended hundreds of times, and and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never let Him know 
that you know you're a sinner and you know you need to be saved, man, call on His name today. It's all about you humbling yourself to call upon Him. And here's how that goes, man. It's really simple. First of all, you have to admit to God you're a sinner. And that shouldn't be hard because, you know what? All of us, everyone in here is a sinner. So you admit you're a sinner, then you ask God to forgive your sins based on what Jesus did on the cross. It's that simple. He died so you could be forgiven of your sins. So call on His name here uh, uh, this morning. And what we're going to do, I'm going to say a prayer. You can say it with me, out loud. You can say it silently, but it's got to come from your heart. And I'm just trying to put in words what's going on in your heart. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now, this morning, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking you, come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and my Savior. And if you said that prayer or something like it, I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hands so we can celebrate with you and pray with you.